Good morning. Scott Luton here with you on this edition of This Week in Business History. Welcome to today's show. On this program, which is part of the Supply Chain Now family of programming, we take a look back at the upcoming week, and then we share some of the most relevant events and milestones from years past. Of course, mostly business-focused, with a little dab of global supply chain, and occasionally, we might just throw in a good story outside of our primary realm. So I invite you to join me on this look back in history to identify some of the most significant leaders, companies, innovations, and perhaps lessons learned in our collective business journey. Now, let's dive in to this week in business history. Hello, and thanks for joining us on This Week in Business History. I'm your host, Scott Luton, and today we are focused on the week of July 27th. But hey, let's pause for one quick programming note. This Week in Business History will be moving over into its own channel next week. So to continue to get this weekly podcast, you'll need to search for This Week in Business History wherever you get your podcasts and click to subscribe. And for that, we are greatly appreciative. Thanks so much for listening. Now back to the week of July 27th in business history. Today, we're going to dive into one of the busiest sectors in global business, cannabis. And if you think you know everything about cannabis, think again. Stay tuned and join me as we learn a lot more about what has become a $12.4 billion industry in the United States alone. That's what we'll focus on today on This Week in Business History, powered by our team here at Supply Chain Now. On August 2nd, 1937, Franklin D. Roosevelt signed into law the Marijuana Tax Act of 1937. Prior to this becoming the law of the land here in the United States, cannabis products were commonly sold throughout the country. Of course, they were regulated in many states. In 1905, the United States Department of Agriculture listed 29 states that each had laws regulating cannabis in some way, shape, or form. During this period in American history, there was not a hardened opposition to the usage of cannabis. In fact, even the American Medical Association wanted to protect the ability of physicians to prescribe cannabis, amongst other things. This was all set to change in the 1930s, and certainly with passage of the Marijuana Tax Act of 1937. That act was drafted by one Harry J. Anslinger. Let's learn more about what some call the first leader in the U.S. war on drugs. Anslinger's family immigrated to the United States in 1881. His father, Robert, had been born in Bern, Switzerland. His mother, Rosa, was from Germany. The Pennsylvania Railroad would bring the Anslinger family to Altoona, Pennsylvania. In fact, Altoona had been founded by the Pennsylvania Railroad to serve as a rail yard and maintenance hub. Harry J. Anslinger was born in Altoona in 1892. At 14, Harry would begin working with his father Robert at the railroad. By the time Harry was in his mid-twenties, Harry J. Anslinger was making quite a name for himself. In fact, due to his 
investigation, Anslinger helped the Pennsylvania Railroad avoid a $50,000 fraudulent claim. Big money back then. His investigative skills were getting noticed. The enforcement of prohibition, amongst other things, would fuel the next portion of his career. Working for a variety of police organizations, Anslinger would travel internationally to battle illegal trafficking activities. In 1930, Harry J. Anslinger would be named the first commissioner of the Federal Bureau of Narcotics, a role he'd keep for 32 years. And it was this role where Anslinger would begin his long and largely effective campaign against all things cannabis. But also in 1930, he would marry the niece of Andrew Mellon, who was the Secretary of the U.S. Treasury at the time. Andrew Mellon was also one of the wealthiest individuals in the country back then. What's interesting about Harry J. Anslinger and cannabis is this. Prior to being named commissioner of the Federal Bureau of Narcotics, Anslinger was on record downplaying the threat posed by cannabis. But that position would significantly change as just seven years into the role, Anslinger would use an assortment of propaganda, Washington relationships, and politics to get the Marijuana Tax Act of 1937 passed and signed by FDR. Anslinger's 180-degree shift on cannabis is rather inarguable, but other components related to his shift and resulting actions is more arguable and a bit murky. Some have claimed that Anslinger's position was changed by his new relationship to Andrew Mellon. In a nutshell, hemp was gaining in popularity as a cheaper alternative to paper pulp, so naturally anyone with significant timber holdings like Andrew Mellon would see hemp and the greater cannabis industry as competition. Others have claimed there was a connection between Andrew Mellon and DuPont, which had introduced nylon to the world which also competed with hemp. There are a variety of theories as to what motivated Anslinger. Still, some would claim that Anslinger needed a new mission in his position at the Federal Bureau of Narcotics, a new conflict that would help give him ammunition to realize his ambitions for power and notoriety. But what is fact is Anslinger's assault on all things cannabis related starting in 1930. He would say, quote, if the hideous monster Frankenstein came face to face with the monster marijuana, he would drop dead of fright, end quote. Anslinger would leverage sometimes xenophobic propaganda, questionable news stories, and Washington relationships and much more to turn the tide of political and popular opinion to get the Marijuana Tax Act of 1937 passed. So how did that change the U.S. cannabis industry? Well, let's turn to how the U.S. Customs and Border Protection Agency phrases it. Quote, in principle, the Marijuana Tax Act of 1937 stopped only the use of the plant as a recreational drug. In practice, though, industrial hemp was caught up in anti-dope legislation, making hemp importation and commercial production in this country less economical. Scientific research and medical testing of marijuana also virtually disappeared. By 1970, marijuana was classified and restricted on par with narcotics, and new tighter laws were enacted, end quote. Clearly, the policy hamstrung the entire cannabis industry 
for decades. Harry J. Anslinger would serve as commissioner of the Federal Bureau of Narcotics until 1962. Seven years after Anslinger stepped down, the United States Congress would replace the Marijuana Tax Act of 1937 after Timothy Leary won a court case versus the U.S. in the Supreme Court. The Controlled Substances Act has been the law of the land here in the U.S. since 1970, and under this legislation, cannabis has been effectively banned at the federal level. So given all of these restrictions and regulations, just how has the cannabis industry grown to a $12.4 billion industry in the U.S.? Well, we can't do it justice in the time we have here, but in a nutshell, I'd point to four things. One, evolving public opinion in general as it relates to cannabis and all cannabis products. Two, more and more commonly accepted usage of cannabis products for medicinal purposes. Three, federal measures and policy embracing medical and industrial use of cannabis. And four, state-driven acceptance of cannabis and cannabis products. Beginning with California in 1996, 33 states and Washington, D.C. have all legalized medical marijuana. For that matter, at least 10 states have legalized recreational marijuana. Our neighbor to the north, Canada, legalized recreational marijuana countrywide in 2018. Amazingly, despite the mix of regulatory environments and policies here in the U.S., according to data firm BDSA, the cannabis industry here is poised to reach $33.9 billion in 2025. Let's spend some time uncovering what makes up the cannabis industry. You can break down the cannabis industry into four large buckets. Recreational marijuana, and depending on what data you look at, that's about a $3 billion market in and of itself. Medical marijuana, approximately a $5 billion market right now. CBD, which stands for cannabidiol, say that three times fast, cannabidiol, an estimated $200 million market for CBD. And finally, hemp, which is estimated to be about an $820 million market. One simple clarification, two plants are critical to the cannabis industry. The marijuana plant, for obvious reasons, and its cousin, the hemp plant, which provides both CBD and the valuable hemp fibers. What might also be interesting to look at would be the cannabis supply chain, which is commonly referred to in industry as seed to sale. Keep in mind, in the current environment here in the U.S., there's one big factor that governs cannabis supply chains. Cannabis products can only be sold and consumed within the state where the original plant was grown. That is a pretty big restriction, isn't it? As you might imagine, each state has its own licensing and enforcement uh, infrastructure. So let's look at a generalized version of a cannabis supply chain. First, you have farms that focus on growing quality seeds, either indoors or outdoors. In some states, these activities may be called growing or cultivating. Secondly, the growers will then send the harvested flowers to a processor, and here they'll trim and dry and cure the plants. The next step, which may be done by the same processor or a second processor, and that step is the finishing process that transforms the raw material into the final product itself. Perhaps the final product will be buds or maybe edibles such as chocolates, baked goods, beverage mixes, candy, etc. 
All products must be tested for potency, and that data is reported to the appropriate local authority. And for that matter, all nodes in any particular cannabis supply chain must be licensed. So, okay, the final products are then shipped to distributors, and the distributors will then ship them out as needed to dispensaries, retail outlets, etc. Finally, let's look at some ways that technology is playing a big part in the cannabis industry. CRM technology, and we all love our acronyms, that's Customer Relationship Management, has proliferated far and wide lately. And it's no different in the cannabis industry. We've got companies like Baker offering customized CRM platforms specifically for the industry. Baker is now part of Tilt Holdings, a vertically integrated infrastructure and tech platform specifically serving the cannabis industry. Although it has no shortage of challenges depending on the geographic market, home delivery of cannabis products is a burgeoning industry. Take Ease, for example, spelled E-A-Z-E. They've made over 5 million deliveries to 600,000 registered customers in recent years across their California-based footprint. And how about CEDO? an automated home grow device that helps make it easy for consumers to grow and enjoy their preferred cannabis products at home. It's all self-contained and it allows for you to plant the seed and not deal with it again until it's ready for harvest. Speaking of the cannabis industry and technology, we should give a shout out to a friend of the show. Colton Griffin is founder and CEO of Flourish Software, a technology firm in the cannabis industry that has been growing dramatically over the past few years. Flourish software offers a platform that tracks product from the proverbial seed to sale, helping clients to optimize all key activities, including purchasing, inventory management, uh, cultivation tracking, order fulfillment, etc. And the organization is working in a variety of states across the country. One last thought, a look ahead for the cannabis industry. Despite a variety of unique hurdles, there's a lot to like about growth in the years to come. In fact, the industry has attracted a wide variety of investors. Constellation Brands, owner of Corona, has invested heavily in the sector, as has the Altria Group, owner of Marlboro Cigarettes. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. According to Viridian Capital Advisors, cannabis companies raised over $116 billion in capital in 2019. So there's clearly a ton of bona fide interest in growing the industry. In what would also be added tailwinds, some industry analysts project a slew of additional states here in the U.S. that will be easing restrictions. In fact, we've seen recent strides here in Georgia. One huge development to keep your eye on here in the, in the United States, banking reform. The cannabis industry is hindered in large part due to an uncertain banking environment. Big banks are largely reluctant to get involved in the cannabis industry because of the somewhat ambiguous legal status that the industry finds itself in. The U.S. House of Representatives has passed legislation entitled the Safe Banking Act that would address some of these concerns. However, the Senate has not passed similar legislation as of late July 2020. So we'll see how that goes in the months ahead. Overall, there seems to be a ton of upside and room to grow for the thriving cannabis industry. Enough, you would think, to make Harry J. Anslinger turn in his grave. That wraps up our look at the week ahead from a business 
history standpoint. The growing cannabis industry, including legislation that held the industry back for decades, really stood out to us. But what do you think? There were certainly no shortage of big stories during the week of July 27th in business history. What stands out to you? Tell us. Shoot us a note to amanda at supplychainnowradio.com or join our Supply Chain Now Insiders group on LinkedIn and share your feedback and perspective there. We're here to listen. I hope you've enjoyed our latest edition of This Week in Business History, focused on the week of July 27th. On that note, check us out and check out a wide variety of industry thought leadership at supplychainnowradio.com. Find us and subscribe wherever you get your podcast from. Hey, friendly reminder, you can now find This Week in Business History wherever you get your podcast from. Based on all the feedback we've received, our team here at Supply Chain Now chose to create its own channel. Search for it wherever you get your regular podcast from. On behalf of the entire team here at This Week in Business History and Supply Chain Now, this is Scott Luton wishing all of our listeners nothing but the best. Do good, give forward, and be the change that's needed. On that note, we'll see you next time here on This Week in Business History. Thanks, everybody.